Welcome to Presence by Naki O. I'm your host, Naki Osute, and I'm thrilled that you're joining us for another amazing episode. Today, we're talking about location, location, location. No, I don't mean that in a real estate way. I mean it in the, in the sense that where we grow up, where we come of age can inform the way that we experience and are experienced in the world and institutions. Institutions like those on Bay Street and in the corporate world writ large. So today we're talking to Kevin Johnson, the CEO of Mediacom. Kevin is the only black CEO of an advertising firm in all of Canada, at least at the time of this recording in September of 2020. Kevin talks about his experiences growing up in Rexdale, which incidentally is my hometown as well, and how those experiences informed the early years of his career in the advertising industry. Now, this is a two-parter. So Kevin's interview makes up the first part, and part two features a young man named Aiden Sykes, who incidentally was mentored by Kevin Johnson. Aiden's experiences differ quite dramatically from Kevin's, and I find that the two stories together paint a portrait of the diversity amongst Black experiences. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. As you were giving your speech and you said something about Rexdale and then I couldn't help myself. I just like, I yelled out Rexdale. And I, I don't know, I, I feel like, I felt like, oh shoot, did I just embarrass myself? But you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't seem phased by it. You just kept going. <laughs> no, I am a proud, proud to say that I am from the community of Rexdale. And, and you know, when I uh, published some of my articles um, on LinkedIn, I always get two or three or four uh, notes back saying, oh my God, I can't believe you're from Rexdale too. Uh, I'm from, you know, uh, Kipling and, and Steels, where are you from? And so there's this moment of um, talking about where we're from, um, but I am, I'm, I'm proud to, I tell anyone who can hear, um, you know, with the position that I'm in, that I am from, you know, I would say, as you well know, a relatively poor area in in Rexdale, and I think a lot of, what do you think? A lot of a lot of pe- a good people came from Rexdale, don't you think? This exhibit A, exhibit B, right here. Exactly. Um, you know, when I when I think about Rexdale, I think about a lot of people who have a very entrepreneurial spirit. And I remember, you know, guys would be with their t-shirt companies. People would be, you know, have their their sound crews like. And so when I think about someone from Rexdale who is a CEO, my mind, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be unusual for me to envision someone who became a CEO of, of a company that they built themselves. And, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I think that oftentimes, especially for folks who grow up in communities like Rexdale, there is this pushing against the idea of going to work for the man and going to, going to work for a company appears to be like, almost like um, like selling out. Selling out, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I wondered, as you were building your career, did you ever push against that tension? I mean, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, look, I, I think the first challenge is that my ceiling was really low. <laughs> when I think about, I didn't really have a lot of thoughts about, you know, as I thought about my career, first of all, I didn't have a lot of thoughts about 
my career, what my career would be. And then when it was slammed up against me and, and, and I was in high school and I was like, okay, well, you need to start thinking about which college to go to. Um, I think at the time, there were a bunch of people that were de defaulting right into, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be a police officer. You know, I'm big, I used to work security, so police officer. Um, and I, I think specific to your question around being a, an entrepreneur, I look back now at my younger self, I've always had an entrepreneurial mind, mm -hmm. trying to break down challenges, create new ideas. I, I had it in me, but I, I was never afforded the opportunity, nor did I, I see a chance to be, to, to be a real entrepreneur when it came down to getting access to funds, hmm. having the knowledge and the mentorship around building a new, uh, a new business. Like I knew I didn't, I had resigned myself that I, I did not have a shot I went through, I went through a life moment um, in grade 11. So in grade 11, uh, I had like a 50 average, 51 to be exact, um, 20 absences per class. So nothing was really going, I mean, I was having fun, but school wasn't really happening for me. Um, and then uh, I took this English media class and somebody threw in a, 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 a tape of the power of advertising and it started talking about what agencies do at, and brands like Benson and Hedges at the time, uh, Bats and all these companies, how they, how they make advertising work for them. And Nagy, as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's it. Wow. That's what I want to do for a living. Hmm. And it was like cemented. So I moved from uh, uh, 50 average to um, being on the honor roll the next year. So I had found my, my thing, my calling, my reason, my passion. And, and, and so that's kind of how my ceiling went from very low to very high. And, you know, if I, if I open up my, my, uh, high school graduation uh, yearbook. And I, uh, I wrote in there that I was, I was gonna rule the advertising world. And Profit. I still have it. And so, uh, you know, yeah, I've been blessed that, you know, I've, I've, I've found some success in this industry. But when I got into my first job, I really struggled. So yeah, I, I moved from this low ceiling to a higher ceiling on my calling and, and the industry I wanted to work in. But very quickly, you know, I think about what I see today and what I experienced back then as the only black person, not in the agency, but in the actual outside of admin. Wow. You see, what you're saying? I, I struggled because I was seeing a new world, you know, when you think about Mad Men and, and, and it's not an exact replication of, of the industry, but it is a very social aspect. So you think about the nice meals, the dinners, the celebrations, all of those things. I was seeing the best of the best wow. in my eyes. And then going home to Rexdale to to gunshots and figuring out how I'm going to pay my bills and supporting my family. 
So I actually wouldn't tell anyone. I hid that I was from Rexdale. Rexdale became Etobicoke. Where are you from? I'm from Etobicoke. Mm-hmm. Because it sheltered me and covered me up. The south part of Etobicoke covered me up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I never told anyone I was from Rexdale because I was already fighting and, and trying to figure out how I fit in. What do you think would have happened if you had told? I, I would have I been dropped in the stereotype. And what, what would that have meant for your experience? Um, it would have been a great, it would have been an even harder battle than it was because I was already fighting stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so was I smart enough? Did I fit in enough? Um, was, I, was I white enough for them? And was I black enough for my community when I got back home? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like those were, was I selling out? Am I selling out? You know, all of those, that, that was a fight for me. I really struggled. And, and in retrospect, and then I, I felt guilty because I was hiding the true me. Mm-hmm. Right? So I look back at that now and I'm saying, man, I wish I came out and said, this is who I am accept it or accept it because there's really no option but then i understand why i did what i did and why i did it i was just trying to survive i was trying to keep food in and and money in my pocket and so i did whatever i needed to do to to survive it is what it is and i think what you're describing i think is a dissonance that's felt by black people you have that struggle of wanting to perform in ways that protect you. And I think sometimes folks misconstrue or, or, they, or what, they, what they imagine to be selling out is actually a protective device because you're already dealing with so much being thrown at you that you're like, okay, there, here's, here's one ball that could be thrown at me that I'm not going to allow by not, by not exposing this one piece of myself. So I, I definitely get that. You, you know, um, I was in, I was, uh, I went through a, a session um, the other day and it was just talking about our experience um, and, you know, some of the things that we had to go through. And it, it, it opened up memories of what I went through. And maybe because everything that's happened this year has just, it's forced it to come out, but it, I mean, it was, it was buried deep. Mm. And, you know, I, I think about the times where I was at a restaurant and I was mistaken for the, uh, the guy who, who gets the car or the bus boy when I was actually there on company business. Mm-hmm. I think about you know, how I, I had to make a concerted effort to smile because if I didn't smile, I would be feared. Like all of those things now are coming up and I have to deal with them. I haven't dealt with them and I'm just dealing with them now. And, I, and someone asked me, what was, what is the result of all of those, that stress that I, you had to endure? It made me a bitter 
angry person for many, many years. And, and that's probably still to still true to some degree. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work that out. I'm trying to work that out now because of this spotlight that we're all kind of dealing with right now. And so what does, what does working that out look like? Look, I, I was, um, I was speaking, um, to a, on a panel the other day and, um, on the panel was a, a, a very great speaker that was um, a psychologist as well. And I kind of said to her, I leaned over and said to her, like, we as a Black community, we need, like, collective counseling. Like, it's like we all just need to get into an open space and get counseling together because all of these things are coming out that we have buried. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's... Um, it's, it's about acknowledging and trying to figure out what I felt, what I feel, why I feel that way. Uh, because, you know, for a lot of us, we've been walking around with an invisible Kevlar jacket and that's me. Like, I'm just like, uh, forget equity. I'm just like, just give me a shot and I will, I will break down any wall. That's not sustainable. Um, it's not. And so I've had to kind of talk about that in my inner self. Hmm. You know, um, I heard once that for people who are dealing with something that they're closeted. So in your case, putting in, putting away this part of your identity around where you're from, there's always a piece of your, of your mental energy that's focused on retaining that secret. And so I wonder, is there a part of you that feels like your, your performance could have been hindered because you were spending time actually trying to fake this? So, you know, it's, it's just funny. I'm, I, I'm, I'm laughing right now because this is exactly what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we talk about privilege, you know, part of that privilege is not having to deal with this, mm-hmm. right? Is I could have been, it is feasible that I, I could have been more effective, uh, less bitter, more open, more happy, more engaged, like all of these things. Um, and again, going back there, I just, I was angry at the world. I was angry at everyone and it didn't matter what color they were. That was my defense mechanism that it was me against the world. Um, And so I I would absolutely agree with you that the, there's gotta be stress within that, that took it, you know, I would say, yo, no, no, uh, I, could, I, I went through anything and I did what I had to do and, and, and that didn't affect me. I'm older and wiser now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I do mentor back into Rexdale right now. And some of the things that I want to tell them is I spent so much time being bitter and dark and angry 
and it wasn't it wasn't necessary like i had a lot of things that i was hurt about you know the fact that i didn't have a father growing up at that time and uh, that he had left um that i was on my own figuring things out that i did i couldn't provide what i needed to give my mom who was working on her own like i was i, I was guilty and bitter about all those things but I, I fed it, I fed it. I, I, I made it get bigger and stronger and it, it took me over. Um, so I talked to my mom a lot about the dark years. She laughs about it, but it, they were dark. Mm. I, I was a mean person um, and sometimes to my own. And so I would encourage those boys, the men of distinction, trust 15 girls and boys to avoid that pitfall we've got to figure a way out and and hopefully people like me and you now who have been through it and have at, at least gotten to a level of success we can kind of help them through that because we we've been there we know it and you and i didn't have you and i when we were growing up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when i go back and 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 where we the mentorship happens it's actually right beside it's in the school right beside the building 2737 Kipling Avenue for all you guys uh who are from Rexdale representing yeah um I you know when I came down there and they didn't know who I was they started sniffing me out like is this guy for real is there a sellout like is he legit and I was like yo that's where I, I came, uh, this is where I'm from. Like, I'm 2737, apartment 1609. Remember that, okay? So once they heard that, they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so not, not only is it about being able to see the ceiling, but knowing, hey, there's this black dude, he's a CEO, and he, he, he lived in the same building that I did. And it wasn't through... I didn't win Lotto 649. I didn't come into no big bag of money. I, I worked my way. And so if he can do it, I can do it. So I agree. I think that, that um, your, your existence is symbolic of you know, where, where our imaginations need to be and, and beyond, right? And I think that message is important for the young people of Trust 15 and, and other groups like that. But I also wonder about how that message is imparted on younger young people who are earlier in their careers. And so I want I would love for you to talk a little bit about the experience you had in, the, in those early years. You began to talk about it a little bit, um, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about some of the key inflection points in your career as you were climbing. Uh, definitely. I have. So I have two. You know, I, I feel like sometimes we're in a profession, but we're kind of, we're going there, we're doing our work and we're leaving. Mm. Um, and, I, and I am a big believer in work-life balance, but I also believe that while you're there, there has to be this idea of being present um, and, and being an expert in your craft. I actually learned that um, very early on by some of, the people and the individuals that I came um, in, in contact with within the within the the first job that I um, that I was in, I think about there's this uh, creative um, genius 
um, that has had passed has passed away, Gary Prouk, and and he was this big burly man. His presence, you just felt his presence when he came in the room. And I and I just kind of watched him. And and maybe he saw me and noticed me kind of watching him because he invited me into his office. And you came into his office, he had this couch and, and all of these awards, and nobody got invited into Gary's office. But here I was, this little black guy who had just started and I'm in Gary's office and people knew something was up because like you were in Gary's office. Um, but I, I, I watched his presence and, and started to take that on, on how I could impress or make an impression on individuals as soon as I came in the room. <laughs> the second, the second um, point that I would, uh, you know, that I kind of, for me was an inflection point was, there was a point where I knew I was good at what I was doing. When headhunters and, and, and uh, organizations were calling me for jobs. Um, and when I think about, you know, one of my, the people that grew me up in the industry, I think about um, a woman named Jan Northcote, very petite, very humble, also has has passed, but I remember getting all these phone calls, and she knew that they were coming for me. And I and I remember that um, I was I was hoping to get a promotion, and she said, "You're not ready yet." And in my head, you know, I'm I'm this I'm a, I'm this ambitious black guy, and I'm like, what? What do you mean you're not giving me? Okay, in my head, I'm like, well, I'm out here. Then I'm I'm gonna take one of those. And she, and she stopped me and she said, there are those who are going to give you things that you want for today, but I'm working on what you want for tomorrow. And I, I bit the bullet and I stayed and she honed and helped me and, and made me better so that it doubled or tripled the value, my value, and how I was perceived not only in the industry, but the knowledge that I was able to take in over that extra two years that I stayed with her. And so I made the choice experience over dollar at the time, because as you well know, regardless of what industry you're in, you have organizations coming in and throwing extra money at you to come and work for them. But is it going to benefit you in the long run? And so I stress when people come to me and say, what do you think? They're offering me $30,000 more. I get it. But think about the long run as well as the short term, short term versus long term. Think about both before you just jump at it. So those are kind of the two things. I want to. I want to ask you questions about both of those, but I'll start with the Jane North Northcott one. What was it about her relationship with you as a manager that allowed for you to feel like you could trust what she was saying? She had always been authentic. She was always transparent with me on where I was, what I could do better, and. 
I really appreciated about her. She coached me based on my style. I am and was at the time, tell me what you want from me and let me go and get it. I, I, I do not deal well with micromanagement. It wasn't my style. But she knew that if, if, if I was able to get that from her, I would earn her trust. And, and it was that type of coaching style that really drew me closer to her. Mm-hmm. She wasn't in for the fame. She wasn't in the glory. She was a very hardworking, revered individual in the industry. And, and I recognized what she meant for my career, and I kind of stuck with her as long as I could. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if there are other things that you would encourage people to look for in those relationships with, with managers that can sort of tell you this is a good place for you to nurture your, your craft. Well, I think for us, um, I think advocacy is a big thing. Um, knowing that you have someone in your corner, uh, for us is a huge thing because, you know, it's those individuals that are going to advocate on our behalf. Um, they're going to, in some cases, uh, stomp out, um, when you talk about, uh, inequity and some of the, the, the racial tension that we're feeling, they're going to advocate sometimes when we don't even know, right? Like a lot of it is when we're not around. And so, you know, as I think advocacy is really important and just being able to to respect you as an individual, regardless of where you're from um, or what you look like or the color of your skin. Just think about this. Here I was, um, Again, six foot two, big black young man, and Jan Northcott was a four foot ten, maybe, uh, white white woman, sweet like tough, but but sweet. And I and I I think about her all the time. She has left um, a mark on me that I will never forget. And. And she accepted me. Could you imagine the the stereotypes or the the thoughts that she could have easily took on when she saw me coming in the door? Like, but she didn't. She advocated for me. She nurtured me in my career, and um, and I and I, I'm really grateful for that. It's interesting. Both like when you when you describe Jane and when you describe Gary. They're like yin and yang. Yes. And yet they both had presence. Yes, yes. What, you know, when you said that you, uh, you looked at Gary and you thought about what you could emulate that would allow you to have the kind of presence that, that he had, can you talk about what, like some of the specific things that you saw in him? You know what? First of all, that's very insightful of you to pick that up, the difference between the two of them. I actually had not, and that's why you're probably, you're much smarter than I am. Um, uh, um, okay, so, so Gary and uh, Jan, they spoke to different sides um, of who Kevin Johnson is. Hmm. 
Jan spoke to the desire to be acknowledged as someone who knew what they were talking about, right? Uh, you you can't be Kevin Johnson. You you have the size and the presence to be seen, but are you superficial? It does that is that it? And I struggled for many years trying to convince myself that I was as smart as they were. Mm -hmm. Right? I didn't go to university. I went to college. I went to Humber College. You know, I was from Rexdale. I was trying to fit in and I was trying to convince myself that I was as smart as they were. And so Jan helped me to, to gain my confidence and the, the, the nuts and bolts to back that up. Mm-hmm. Gary, Gary taught me about the, the outer KJ, which was the confidence, the, the charisma, the, the personality, the, you know, the social side of the business um, that builds relationships, um, that closes deals, like that, that creates new ideas, innovation, creativity, all of these things. I kind of watched him and saw that, I mean, this was a man, he was at the top of his game, had won, had traveled the world, had worked on some of the biggest campaigns ever. Uh, He was revered in the industry and his name carried weight. And and there was something about that that I wanted. So let me ask you this. You know, you talked a lot about being a Black man and how you had to deal with the stereotypes associated with that. Talk to me a little bit about how your presence as a Black person is affecting the industry? Ooh, um, affecting the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, good question. I think now I've been very vocal about my experiences as the Black man in the industry. And I think what that has, the effect of that um, has brought race directly to the forefront um, within this industry. And what I came to understand and figure out was the best thing that I could do would be to share my experiences with non-Blacks, especially at the executive level. Mm -hmm. Because I was executive, they accepted me, right? Like, I I know KJ, he's, he's cool. Like, we're good. Um, so I could tell them, I, I made them really uncomfortable about telling them about the interactions that I've had with the police. All like all, I would give them stories after stories and it made them really uncomfortable, but it was needed. So mm-hmm. hopefully my legacy when I leave will be uh, that I, mentorship was important to me culture was important um, and I wanted I, I, I hope that my people, our people 
will be able to say that he he helped open the doors for for more for more coming in from the black community. Mm-hmm. And I I definitely appreciate that, and I think that is what your legacy will be. And I'm excited I'm excited for you. Um, but I'm also interested in you know there's there's a lot of critique of the advertising industry insofar as its own lack of diversity in its presentation. So when we look at when we look at ads. You know, I think it's definitely improving, but we see that advertising actually reinforces a lot of stereotypes that you would have been fighting against as you were climbing the ladder. And so I'm curious, you know, you leading your own firm, how are you in the act of business, like in, in, the, in the presentation of the work that you do, how are you affecting change in that capacity? Um. Good, good, good question. Uh, I, I would say in two ways. One is within the partnerships that we have um, with our clients, I'm having, I'm being bold enough to have the conversations with our partners and ask questions like, what are you feeling? What are you hearing? What are you doing within your own organization mm-hmm. to help? What allyship are you providing within the, the grand scheme of things and offering to help in whatever way we can? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important. And, and, and in a lot of cases, it's tell me how I can help and, and we'll help. But there also have been cases where I have shared my unhappiness with organizations um, like the Facebooks and some of the social platforms about not doing enough mm. when it comes to the negative effect that we see um, in the Black community on some of these social platforms and race and hate that is coming out on these platforms. Um, and, I, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm positioned well to do that because I'm, I'm at an executive level, I can be heard, um, and I'm, I'm at this point bold enough in order to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. I think the second, the second area is, um, you know, just being able to look for opportunities to bring more of us um more of us in and being able to have these conversations and lobbying and questioning um about uh how we are depicted with from our own industry uh quick story uh, we we do a lot of presentations to clients um and Early on in my um, when I when I got to MediaCom, started seeing these these presentations coming through, and they were beautiful. And I was being serious, but joking at the same time, trying to make it lighthearted. And I was like, "Am I in the images that I see? Am I gonna? Am I seeing any black people anytime soon?" And I, I, I said it and laughed, but they were like, "Oh, wow, oh, that's not good." And so they actually went and started trying to search for more 
images of diversity. But the problem was we couldn't find any. We couldn't find any. Mm. And I can't, there was this one image that we wanted to portray of an, an individual overcoming a hurdle. And so we, we started typing in black man jumping over a hurdle, something like that, to kind of get the right image. I, I don't even want to tell you what started coming up. Oh, boy. And so inherently, in the pictures and the images that we're seeing, like, are coming back, we have an issue. Mm-hmm. We have an issue. And, and, you know, these are the conversations, the type of conversations that we have to have with the Googles and Facebooks of the world um, and how AI begins to play in that on how Black people are seen and the images that are portrayed even from a search perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that I can be here having, being a part of these conversations. I know you, you grew up in Rexdale, so you must have, you must have encountered some Ghanaian people. Of course. <laughs> and so for, for me growing up, uh, when my aunts would come around, they would have conversations about certain things and you would all of a sudden hear them say, hey, nonsense. And they would like just destroy something that they, that they saw and they would tear it up. And I asked you to tell me about something that you're seeing that you would put into the category of nonsense. No sense. My nonsense right now that's happening is, uh, I, I'm going to call it the campaignization of Black Lives Matter. Woo! Okay. So, uh, like, here's my issue. And I called it from the very beginning. You know, the world that we love, we live in, we love taking things and, and making them into campaigns. Like there's a little advertising in all of us. Like we're gonna put decals all over the place. We're gonna have slogans and memes and, and we're gonna post it all over. And the issue that I have with that is everybody then falls in love with the campaign, but the campaign has no teeth and it has no meaning and it will be forgotten. If it's not like the one of the best campaigns of all time, it will be got forgotten. The awareness at some point will go down because we'll be like, it, we will become immune to seeing that campaign, the Black Lives Matter campaign. Now, if allyship talks about acknowledgement, which is what the campaign is, everyone was like, oh, that, we got to acknowledge it. Okay, let's send it all over the wave. I'm going to post and forward the hell out of this. But what? where's the accountability and the action? Where's the change that comes from the campaign? Because in my world of advertising, that's why campaigns are built. Campaigns are built to change behavior. I want to. I want you to buy one more orange juice. I want you to buy this car. I want you to go to this dentist. It's about the action. So my annoyance, my irritation, it, my warning is we are campaigning the life out of Black Lives Matter. It needs to have 
in addition to all of the wonderful non-Black individuals who are posting and forwarding and doing things all over social media, we need accountability. This is unacceptable and we need action. We are gonna stop this now because Black people are tired about talking. We're about the action. Mm -hmm. And that is my a nonsense. If I see one more forward or post about the Black Lives Movement without the action to come with it, I'm 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 just about there. All right. Thank you. I love this. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you. I really you appreciate the podcast listener for life. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're all good. And thank you for being from Rexdale and such a inspiring person. I appreciate you. So there you have it. Part one of location, location, location. I want to thank my guest, Kevin Johnson, once more. Kevin, thank you for your candor and your generosity in sharing your stories and your life with us. Thank you, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. If you haven't already, please subscribe because you know we don't drop on a particular day. So if you subscribe, you, you'll never miss an episode. And do share the episode with a friend you think may benefit. If you've got questions or episode ideas, please hit me up on my socials at Presence by Naki O. And stay tuned for part two, where I interview Aiden Sykes. And bonus, you get to hear the story of how Aiden and I met. And it's a good one. So stay tuned for the next episode. Until then, take space, make space. Peace. <laughs>